This is a podcast from Minute Media. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, we have a super exciting show recapping a wild, wild past week of MLS Cup playoffs and getting ready for another crazy week. So we're super excited to be back talking about postseason. It's a wonderful time of year, full of crazy nonsense, and we love it. So thanks again for tuning in. It is Drew and Josh here. Connor is taking some much-needed time off as he wraps up school with, I assume, practicum. He always talks about that. So I assume school is kicking his butt as we wrap up the end of semester. So he's taking some time off. So it's just Drew and Josh here keeping you up with the postseason action. And Josh, it has been a wild week. I know we have both watched a lot of soccer. So aside from the soccer, because we will for sure talk about that, how has the past week been treating you? We had Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving how was how was the past week for you? Yeah, it was good. Um, I had a lot of. I ended up having a lot of work uh, to do this week, and so the week kind of flew by up until the holiday. And then you know it's just been uh, uh, spending time with family and everything. So yesterday we're recording this on Friday. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. It was really good. Uh, I got to spend the day with my family, and you know had some good food. Played some Thanksgiving football in the morning, and by football I mean soccer. Uh, so I woke up early for that. I did not score any Thanksgiving Day goals, but I did have a couple of assists, and my team played pretty well. So we had a we had a result that we could be proud of. And then uh, I play again tomorrow morning, so I'm I'm about to get two games in three days here. So I'm pretty excited for that. Hopefully my uh, my legs are okay after tomorrow, but we're gonna find out. But yeah, lots of soccer watching. Uh, I've been watching a lot of basketball too with the Hawks and everything. They are playing right now, and they're up 14 at the half over the Memphis Gri- Memphis Grizzlies, which it would be great if they won because they're two and eight on the road, I think, and so they're about to be three and eight if they can win this game, which would give them two, two road wins in a row, which would be amazing. They'd have a road winning streak, and it would be eight wins in a row overall. So it's been fun to watch the Hawks a little bit uh, throughout the week as well. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was good. Like you said, I got to see family, which was always awesome. They came up yesterday. All my family is pretty close. Literally, my uncle lives like not even lying 30 seconds away we live on a big hill and we live on the top of the hill and in the middle of the hill is his house so like literally 30 seconds away but I got he got to come up got good food um so that was nice we played basketball we used to play football in my house as I feel like is a normal tradition for Thanksgiving but I think since everyone got kind of old we just stick to basketball now so that's fun. Watched a lot of soccer, been watching a lot of football as normal. I got my family to watch an MLS game, the Thanksgiving game, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I was the biggest skeptic of that idea, putting MLS on such an American holiday like Thanksgiving that's designed for football and watching the Lions and Cowboys lose. But they put MLS on there and freaking it worked. My family watched probably one of those boring games <laughs> up until about the 89th or so minute. 
So the whole time they were like, this sucks. I hate this. I was like, it's fine. It's fine. We'll, it'll catch on. And then they saw the goal and they were like, oh crap, this is awesome. It's like, yeah, welcome to MLS. It sucks for a while, but then it gets great <laughs> all at once. So it was cool. Got to see family. Watched a lot of stuff. School is wrapping up. I have about three weeks left, which is wild, but we will get there. And one of the best parts of my week was last Saturday watching the NWSL final where our beloved best friend of the podcast, Aubrey Brickwall Bledsoe, won a championship with the Washington Spirit. That was so freaking awesome to see. Uh, She made a lot of big saves. She won championship MVP. She won goalkeeper of the year. And yeah, they beat Chicago Red Stars 2-1 in the final for Washington's first championship in their franchise history in Louisville, which I know was wild. It was a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, so super happy for Aubrey, uh, again, a good friend. Love having her on the podcast. She's a great person. And so super shout out to her. But in addition to the Washington Spirit winning their first NWSL championship, we had a crap ton of news in the MLS front. Some of it was expected, some of it was not expected, and some of it was just nice awards. So we can dive into that. First thing that happened today, Nani is leaving Orlando City. That came out of nowhere. I didn't expect that at all. That was just a wild thing that popped in my timeline. He's not retiring. He's just leaving the club. Josh, what did you think when you saw the announcement on Twitter that he was leaving Orlando? Yeah, it uh, definitely caught me by surprise. Like, uh, it caught you by surprise. I think it caught all of us by surprise. There were no really rumors. There were no really rumors or anything about uh, Nani leaving the club or him being out of contract or anything like that. At least nothing that I saw as far as his contract goes. Um, so for that reason, I think it's surprising. I think if you really give it some thought and you look at the trend of each of his seasons where he has a strong first half and he kind of disappears for the second half, I think it makes sense to move on from him. They got you know decent three years out of him, and he helped the club make the playoffs for the first time ever, and that's a fan base that really deserved it for the way that they've shown up and shown out for the Lions since they've, um, since they've existed. So that was really cool, really special, and, and and by that I think you can measure it as a success for having Nani there. But uh, yeah, just a little surprising. Like I said, I don't think anybody was really expecting this. There were definitely no rumors or anything about him leaving. So I'm very interested to see where he ends up. I I don't I can't picture him ending up anywhere in MLS. But I don't really know where he goes from here. Maybe back to Portugal, um, which is his native country. Uh, maybe back somewhere else in Europe. Who knows. But uh, you never know. Serie A is apparently a retirement league now. Now they took Zlatan Ibrahimovic off of our hands, so maybe he, <laughs> maybe he goes to Juventus or something. You know, <laughs> love seeing MLS exports in Europe tearing it up. I would love to see him. <laughs> the only way I'm with you, the only way I could see him coming back to MLS would be in a coaching role, which I personally would love to see. I would love to see him with Orlando in a coaching role. I think it would be awesome. But yeah, like you said, he's been a pretty big success. Obviously, he didn't win any silverware with Orlando City, except that weird preseason trophy that people like to make fun of Orlando City for. They, like, created their own tournament and won it. (laughs) So he got that. Um, Obviously, MLS is back final. So, yeah, that was pretty shocking. And we'll see where he goes. Something that was a lot less shocking. I think everyone expected it. We were just waiting for the announcement to happen. Bob Bradley is joining Toronto FC. He's becoming the manager, which was expected, and the general manager which I don't know if that was necessarily expected. And TFC also parted ways with Ali Curtis, so a lot of change 
in the Toronto FC front office. My, obviously, like we talked about, I think we've been, everyone in Major League Soccer in this world has expected this to happen. Bob Bradley going to Toronto FC as a manager. I'm not sure the general manager part of it was necessarily expected. I think that's an interesting kind of layer to this whole thing. Um, We've seen this sometimes in sports. I'm not familiar with how much we've seen it in MLS. You've seen, I think, with us in the Atlanta Hawks, Coach Budenholzer coached a couple years ago. He was the head coach, but also the GM. It's just like this weird vibe that you have to manage both things. So I'm really interested to see how that turns out. I personally, I think that might be a lot to put on his plate coming into a new club. Now, the good thing for him is he is at a club that has a lot of money that has shown the aspiration to win, that is willing to spend money to build a really good team. Uh, he's with Michael Bradley, obviously his son, so we'll see how that dynamic plays out. But I'm really excited about this. I think TFC is in an interesting stage from our talks with Connor. We'll see what happens. No one really knows what the heck is going on in Toronto, but I'm excited to see this um, dynamic of him managing the team on the field, but also being in the front office dealing with transfers and things like that, which I think, I don't know the inner workings of a front office by any means, but I think the manager gets somewhat of a say as far as transfers go, but now it feels like he will be like 99% of the dude that's making these moves, and he just has to figure out if they have the money or not to do so. So he's been in the league, obviously, toured up with LAFC, won a supporter shield. He won the MLS Cup with the fire back in 98, something crazy like that. So he knows how to win in this league, but GM and manager. Josh, do you think giving Bob Bradley this much in TFC is a good thing, or do you think it was a mistake on Toronto's part? I think it makes sense when you look at other types of coaches that have this much power. Peter Vermees in Sporting Kansas City is a head coach and GM, and Bruce Arena is a head coach and GM. And we all know about the successes of those two gentlemen, especially Bruce Arena this past year. So from that sense, when you're looking at these like heavily domestic U.S.-based coaches that have been around since MLS was created, I think from that point of view it makes a lot of sense. I was a bit shocked to see Ali Curtis go because they announced that a couple days before announcing Bradley, obviously. Uh, and Because personally, I don't think Ali Curtis did that bad of a job. Now, he made a colossal mistake in hiring Chris Armas to be the manager. Like That much is obvious. But other than that, I mean, bringing in players like Alejandro Pozuelo, um, I guess there aren't really any others that, that really jump out to, to me in my mind. But he's been there for three years, and... They made the playoffs the first two years, and they almost won the Shield that second year. They went to MLS Cup Final in that first year. It's really just this year, after hiring Chris Armas, that the wheels really fell off. Also, uh, you know, the Athletic reported this, and it's been kind of rumored, but apparently um, did not do a great job in bringing Pasuelo. There have been some off-the-field issues with Pus- uh Not Pasuelo, I'm sorry, with Soteldo, Jefferson Soteldo. Uh, there's been some issues with him off the field. And so obviously that kind of lays with Ollie Curtis and his decision to vet that player and bring that player in. But other than those things with Armis and Soteldo, I thought Curtis did a pretty decent job. It makes sense now why he was let go. I'm sure when the club was in talks with Bob Bradley, you know, Bradley said, hey, I would like to be the GM. I would like that control 
you know, and then TFC was like, you know what, we're willing to make that happen for you because we want you here that badly. So I'm sure some sort of deal like that happened, and then it was time for Curtis to go. Um, but up until that point, I mean, I really felt like he was doing a decent job. So, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what Bob Riley does. You know, when you had Bruce Arena taking over the New England Revolution, which was only a couple years ago, it's probably a better example to use since Peter Vermees has been at Sporting Kansas City forever. Um, Arena inherited a really rough team that had some talent, but not really any standout talent. And he's done a good job of coaching up the players that were already there, but they also started to add their DP players that they have now. TFC, on the other hand, is a very, very talented team, and they have a lot of young, talented players as well. So because of that, I'm really interested to see what Bradley can do with the squad. I think he will do a good job. Uh, you know, me, you, and Connor were kind of joking around in the group chat earlier this week. I said, you know, something like, ah, oh, crap, TFC are going to be so good now. I might have even said it on last week's episode when we were talking about Bob Bradley going to Toronto, but... Uh, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. I do think he will be successful there. Do you think first year did make the playoffs under Bob Bradley? Oh, absolutely. They'll definitely make the playoffs. Will they win a trophy? I mean, maybe the Canadian Championship, but I don't know if that really counts since you only have to beat like two, <laughs> you only have to beat like two teams to get there, and that's 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 if you're you know that's if the the bracket works out that way because Toronto like could only have to face one Canadian uh, one Canadian MLS team. And it be the final, but uh, I, I outside of the Canadian Championship, I don't think he'll get a trophy. But yeah, he'll definitely make the playoffs, and you know, especially when over half the league. Well, no, wait, just half the league makes the playoffs now because Charlotte mm. will be entering the league next year, and we'll have an even twenty-eight. Uh, but yeah, I think Toronto should be able to make the playoffs next year under him. Speaking of Canadian Championship, I think this week Toronto lost the championship, the Canadian yep. Championship to Montreal. Montreal one zero so. win. 1-0 win. Shout out to the foot. They're going to the Champions League. Love to see that. So Toronto FC is in a wild, wild place right now. And in addition to players leaving, managers going to different places. We had some awards coming out. It is awards season. Uh, we talked about some last week. We have some this week. Uh, Matt Turner won goalkeeper of the year. I think that was pretty expected. Um, obviously, we've seen him tear it up. With the revolution as they've been on this dominant tear, obviously seeing him making his case with the national team. Uh, Christian Aranjo won Newcomer of the Year, and Carles Hill won Comeback Player of the Year. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about these awards. Um, all three, obviously, good players. Is there anything, obviously, Carles Hill tearing up with flirting with that assist record? I don't think he broke it, but he came pretty dang close. Making new, Both these two players come from the revolution large part as to why the Revs had the best regular season in league history. Is there anything out of these three awards that stood out to you or anything out of these three that is specifically cool to you out of these three guys? Um, I think personally I would have gone with Chicharito over Carlos Heel. And the vote kind of reflected that it was 15% Carlos Heel, 12% Chicharito, also 12% to Daniel Shallowy. And about 11% to Sebastian Blanco. So it was there was no clear winner in this. Uh, there was a clear winner in Newcomer of the Year. Uh, Aranjo had 38, and Ryan Gold had 16% of the vote. So personally, I would probably pick Chicharito over Carlos Heel. Um, just because Heel still played well last year when he did play. He just didn't play a lot because of injury. Chicharito, on the other hand, last year, although he did also miss out a lot on injury, when he did play, he was terrible. So 
I think for that reason, I would go with Chicharito for my comeback. Uh, but other than that, I mean, yeah, Matt Turner deserves the win. And then personally, I, I, I don't necessarily know if I would have gone with Christian Aranjo, but from looking at the vote and how much of the vote he won and in which areas he won it, like that's you know, perfectly acceptable to me. So no real, uh, no real qualms with these awards so far. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I totally forgot about Chicharito. That start of the season, I think it was pretty clear-cut. He was tearing up. He was scoring goals all the freaking time, and then he got injured. And then even when he came back, he was scoring goals. So that's a good shot for Chicharito. But, yes, those were the awards. Awards season as the playoffs roll on, players getting recognized for their accomplishments in the regular season, and some of them still in the playoffs. Obviously, Matt Turner and Carly Seal still going at it, trying to get a shield and a cup along with their individual awards. And we're still waiting for MLS MVP, the big one. So we will see. I don't know. Is there like a specific date when that comes out? Do we know when we'll learn MVP? Yeah, I'm sure there's a date somewhere. I think it's usually like the week of MLS Cup that they decide to announce that award. They, I think they usually do that on site where the cup is being hosted as part of the media stuff for the week so we'll obviously mm. be figuring it out soon and the MLS cup december 11th yeah that sounds right whatever that saturday is something like that something like that that is a saturday yes so yeah december 11th i think mls cup so in a couple of weeks we will learn who mls mvp is so yes we're gonna take a quick ad break and we will come back and we will talk about the wild wild world of postseason action we have a lot of games going on some upsets, not a whole lot of upsets, but some upsets. And we'll talk about some goals of the week, games of the week. We'll talk about our terrible MLS Cup brackets and all that fun stuff. So we will be right back after this short ad break. Cool. And we are back to talk some crazy MLS games. We had a load of playoffs going on first round. Some teams had buys. Then they got to come back and play. We're still waiting on some. I think the Revolution is the only team that hasn't played yet if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So every other team has been in action except for the Supporter Shield winning New England Revolution. So it was a good time. Always fun to watch MLS Cup playoffs. Josh, I think you said you watched every game. I did. Right? Not, I didn't how watch was, how everything. Was the stream? <laughs> I didn't watch everything start to finish. Uh, there were a couple times where uh, I was I was either late to a game or, in the case of the RSL Seattle game, fell asleep during a lot of it. Uh, but <laughs> I did watch most of each game, so I'm I'm pretty comfortable with you know the main storylines from all of it. And you know, to be quite honest with you, compared to like especially last year's playoffs, but compared compared to the usual way the MLS playoffs go, this has been a little tame. It's been a little uh, mm, I think uneventful is the best word. I don't want to call it boring because it hasn't necessarily been boring, but compared to what it normally is, it's been definitely a lot more. It's been a lot more chill. It's been a lot more laid back, not as chaotic as things usually are. Yeah, I think it's hard to beat last year when you have the craziness that was NYCFC Orlando and you have like this random dude in goal for a penalty shootout. (laughs) But yeah, it's been pretty chill. It started off not chill. This first game started off and I thought, oh gosh, if every game is like this game, this is going to be one of the best cup playoff runs ever. 
Whoa. Talking about Philadelphia. No, no, This game no. was sick. Was no, it the this first game? game? Was it was horrible. wild. This game was horrible. What? Oh, all right, now. Are we talking you, about the same game? Yes. Now, you can think the game was fun. Like, that's fine. Like, that's your personal opinion. But my opinion is that this game was brutal. It was just demolition derby soccer. Like, everybody running into each other, causing all these 50-50s all over the field. And it, it don't get me wrong. It ended up being a good game overall. And, like, you know, the ending was really good. But... Man, there were stretches of that game where I was just sitting there looking at the TV and I was like, what am I watching right now? <laughs> I think the passing completion was like 60% New York, 65% Philadelphia. Like those were their passing completion <laughs> percentages, and that is horrible. 58% Philadelphia, 67% Red Bull. Oh. Red Bulls had one shot on target. Philadelphia had three shots on target. But what made this game freaking awesome was the one goal that went in Jakob Glesnes. The best thing about this game, as we talk about this more, was the video. I saw it for the first time today. It was like an angle from midfield, pretty high up in the stadium. And as soon as like Glesnes settled it or whatever, the whole stadium yelled shoot. And then he pulls it and it was like the coolest moment ever. So that was awesome. Like we're talking about Philadelphia, New York, Jakob Glesnes with a goal in the dying minutes right before we thought we were going to get penalty kicks. Settled it outside the box, found the bottom corner. It was wild. But like Josh mentioned, this game was pretty pretty gross. I think it might be a good way to describe it. We talked about the passing struggles both teams had. 32 fouls in this game in total. Rebels fouled 22 times. Philadelphia fouled 10 times. Rebels only got one shot on target off 11 shots. Philadelphia got three shots on target. And obviously the big one finding the back of the net. I don't know. I think we both got this game right as far as picking Philadelphia yes. to win this game. Um, were you surprised at all that it took Philadelphia almost, what, 125 minutes or so to score in this game? Uh, yes, but only because, like, it, it's odd. Like, this is one of those games where everybody said, like, this is going to be demolition derby soccer. Like, this is going to be ugly. Like, this is just how these two teams play. And it, like, literally ended up being exactly how everybody thought it was going to be. So from from that perspective, yes, I I was expecting it to be a while before anybody scored. Uh, maybe not that long, like, until the last possible minute of extra time. But it did make it worth it in that uh, it was just really exciting to see that goal. Like you mentioned, like, I, I watched that highlight after that game, like, ten times in a row. And what gets me every single time is when the whole crowd is yelling "shoot" because they they know <laughs> they know Glustis could score bangers, man. He he is part of the he is the president of the bangers only club, like <laughs> like he is textbook bangers only. And so the crowd knew, everybody knew, and uh, that, that was just such a cool moment for Philly, especially. But uh, yeah, I'm not that surprised that it took so long. Again, it's just a rough. <laughs> It's just a rough like couple styles clashing, but at the end of the day, Philadelphia's a better team, and I think that's why they ended up winning it. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about similar styles of play. Um, both of these teams are on the better end defensively. Rebels and Nashville are leading the Eastern Conference for sure uh, as far as... So Rebels, Nashville, and Seattle are tied for first in the league with goals allowed. They have all three allowed 33 goals. And Philadelphia and Arfa are behind, only allowing 35 goals. So these are two really good defensive teams pairing up against each other, which I think is in a large part a reason why we got that pretty gross game, especially because 
it feels like, I mean, the last time the Red Bulls played, it's been about two weeks in between the times these two teams played. So they're still kind of getting the rust off, getting things together. But you have two teams that are really solid defensively, and that's going to make for pretty gross soccer. Um, but you pull out one good goal, and that makes everything better. So Philadelphia, 1-0 winners over the Rebels. Uh, yeah, Philadelphia, the two-seed coming off, trying to make a run. I think they've never won MLS Cup before, have they? Neither of these teams have ever won MLS Cup. So I think Philadelphia is going, because they won the Shield, so they're going for their first MLS Cup. So Philly got that win. We'll talk about who they're playing soon, but not just quite yet. We're going to flip it over to the game that happened the same day. The yeah, next was, day. this was that night. The same. Later that night, unfortunately, the beloved Vancouver Whitecaps, Connor's pick to make it out of the Western Conference, his bracket already busted. Sartini supremacy is no longer here. <laughs> the Vancouver Whitecaps falling 3-1 to SKC. To the Whitecaps' credit, they battled back. Christian Nahome got a penalty kick to tie it up at 1-1, and then SKC got a goal in the half, and then Zussi put it away in the 58th minute with a 3-1 win for Kansas City. Vancouver is out. I think there are, there are a lot of different ways to tackle this game. I first want to tackle this from a Vancouver perspective. I mean, I think just the reason, the way these guys just made the playoffs in the first place deserves some acknowledgement given all the crap they've gone through with Marto Santos going away, not being able to play at home for such a long time. I think even the longest out of all the Canadian teams. So the fact that they made the playoffs, I think is really impressive, but just going to Kansas city um, as the, they are the three seed um, was a lot to ask of. So I think Vancouver making the playoffs is very impressive. Deserves some acknowledgement of any Sarantini has yet to be extended and offered a full-time head coaching position. I think that's pretty much assumed at this point that he will be the manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps after Dos Santos was let go mid-season. But Whitecaps' journey ends here. Josh, did you get to watch a lot of this game? I mean, I think it was a lot to ask of Vancouver to go to Kansas City just because they had they had been on this run. It felt like just to make the playoffs, they had they couldn't really mess up. They had to get all these steps right, and they had such a hard schedule to do it against having to beat Portland, having to beat Minnesota, draw L.A., draw Seattle. And it just felt like they ran out of gas, and they had to go to Kansas City to do it, one of the best teams in the league. Did you – I mean, what did you think about this game with Vancouver's run ending and SKC going to the next round? Yeah, it kind of felt like a like a business-as-usual game for SKC. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, like – like you said, props to Vancouver for making it this far. And the fashion that they did, it was really exciting, really cool. Um, they were very fun to watch, which it's been a long time since, you know, it's been the case for Vancouver. It's been years, honestly, since they've been fun to watch. So that in and of itself is a victory, I think. And I think a success for the club. And then to make the playoffs on top of that is really, really special. For SKC though, I think at the end of the day, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot, this playoffs actually, because as an Atlanta fan, you know, you start to wonder, yeah, Atlanta, you know, they've kind of turned things around at the end of the season. How will that translate in the playoffs? And this applies to Vancouver, too, in that, yes, both of these teams did well down the stretch to make the playoffs. But what playoff experience do they have? What playoff experience do those Whitecaps players have? Most of them? None. This was their first ever playoff game being a part of. On the other side of things, though, you look at SKC, they were in the playoffs last year, had a couple playoff games. You look at veterans like Graham Zussi, 
who's still hitting bangers in, even you know in his mid thirties and having played in MLS for over a decade. Um, but th- that's a guy that's been around the block. You know, he's got trophies to his name. Sporting Kansas City, Peter Vermees. These are this is a club. This is a coach that has pedigree attached with the name. Lots of silverware attached with the name, and so. I think from that perspective, it's not so surprising that Vancouver's run came to an end here. For people like me and Connor who picked Vancouver, you know, especially me, I can definitely speak for myself. You know, I thought they were hot enough coming in to where they can maybe pull off the upset. And, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty skeptical person of SKC, like I just have been for the last couple of years. They've never been very convincing to me. I don't I wouldn't necessarily call them overrated, but I think people give them a bit too much credit. Uh, as far as like recent years, like of course they're one of the West's elite teams and they're a model franchise, but they haven't won a trophy in a long time. But for me, I was just kind of expecting, you know, same old, same old SKC. I came away very impressed with their their win, and I think they've sort of lucked out with their next playoff opponent in their next playoff round, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I, good for them. I honestly think Vancouver was going to be the toughest opponent for them until they get to the Western Conference Final, which I do think they are going to get to the Western Conference Final at this point based on their upcoming matchup. Uh, so, yeah, just SKC has playoff experience. And Vancouver doesn't, I think, is what it really boiled down to, and uh, especially when you're playing in front of your home fans, you know? It's a bit easier to come away. Almost every single home team won in this opening round. That's a very, very big deal. Hopefully it puts uh, you know a little more pressure on teams in the regular season. Uh, but unless you have anything you want to add to this, we'll go ahead and move on to the next game. Do you think, you talk about Vancouver being hot, do you think this layoff, because it's been about, what, two weeks since Vancouver played? Do you think them having to wait two weeks harmed them, or in general? Because this is a whole thing, like these teams had to wait a while, because Vancouver's been playing really well, but then they just fell flat on their face. Do you think this break harmed those teams that had been playing really well to end the regular season? I think, again, when you look at the... Like, you just look at these two rosters and you see the experience, again, that SKC has. Even, like, just the player makeup in general. They're a bit older, right? Vancouver had a very young roster this year. And so these these kids, you know, these young guys, they don't, they don't necessarily have the mental experience of having dealt with a layoff like this before. So I do think the break hurt Vancouver and helped SKC in that sense. Maybe not a ton. And I want to touch on this when we get to the um, Colorado matchup later on from Thanksgiving yesterday. I want to talk about that just a little bit. But overall, I, I think it just comes down to an experience thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that is another reason Vancouver fans can be super, super excited heading into next season. They have a young team. Obviously, we'll see what happens with Sartini. But good players that made an impact. And like you said, this is the first time in a long time since like the Pedro Morales, Eric Hurtado days that Vancouver has been super fun to watch. And when you have a manager that talks about being drunk off champagne in the post-game press conference, everyone is literally pulling for the Whitecaps right now. So fun times in Vancouver, so we will see where that goes. Now we have to talk about a game that I don't, I'm not really sad about. This game, like, it, it was expected, I think. And it's weird. I've seen some some tweets on, on the wonderful website, twitter.com, NYCFC beating Atlanta 2-0. And, I mean, obviously pulling for Atlanta, you want to see them do it. But, and we'll talk more about it in depth, but I think we both picked this game. 
But your initial reaction, were you at all... I mean, obviously you're disappointed. You want to see Atlanta win from a fan perspective, but this was kind of expected, right? Like, no one really expected Atlanta to go to NYCFC and win? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we both picked NYCFC to win this game in our brackets because we're not idiots. We've been watching... You know, we've been watching Atlanta all season. We know what this team is. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not in the least bit surprised that they went out in the first round, especially against NYCFC playing in Yankee Stadium. Now, though, and, and I'm like you. I'm not even that disappointed that they lost. I am, however, very disappointed in the way that they lost. The way you give up those two goals and so quickly, it just... It was an embarrassing performance, honestly. It was an embarrassing performance. And even though the team is really not that good, and like you and I have said, we expected them to lose, that was still an unacceptable performance from Atlanta United. And what's really funny to me is some people were happy that the team made the playoffs, and to me that's kind of a joke because the club itself has put itself up to like the highest of standards. And it has not lived up to the standards for two years now. I just, as an Atlanta fan, am frustrated that the club has pigeonholed itself into those expectations. Because, again, now you're getting to the point where a lot of fans are thinking it's okay to just make the playoffs. And I just came away very frustrated, again, with, the, with their performance and how embarrassing that was. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I was, I was not really surprised. That was fun because... Uh, there was a an Atlanta United fan on Twitter who was complaining about MLS media journalists saying, you know, that NYCFC were going to win. And this fan's argument was that the club had the best unbeaten stretch heading into the playoffs. And while that was true, there were a few draws in there where Atlanta against mediocre teams had leads and then blew those leads, and it ended up being draws. And so while on paper it looks cool that the club was, you know, unbeaten in eight games in a row, when half of those games are because the team conceded late equalizers, it does not feel good, which is why it was extremely surprising to me that although, yes, all fans can be delusional about their teams, it's totally normal. It was just weird for me that this particular person was upset at MLS journalists for picking based on the way they've seen the games because if you've been watching the games not just looking at the record then you would understand that yeah Atlanta's really not that good they're struggling with these these mental lapses because the team is not that experienced and it doesn't have very many strong wins together also poor Andrew Weeby man he was one of those he was (laughs) the guy that was taking the 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 majority of the beating on Twitter and it did not help that a prominent Atlanta United uh, commentator, I'll say, was also being very, very naive in the comments he was making and supporting the fans' initial argument. Poor Weeby, man. He was like, the, the, you know, Atlanta can't beat playoff teams. And it's true. You want to know what their record was against playoff teams this year? It was like one. They had one win against playoff teams this year. The rest of it was losses and draws. Most of their wins, because they finished with like 13 wins, I think, which is not terrible. 12 of those wins came against non-playoff teams. Atlanta United was just above mediocre this year. That's all it was. And there were a lot of outside circumstances. And I don't, you know, I think, yes, at the end of the day, you can be happy that they made the playoffs. But it was not like, yeah, it just wasn't surprising. It wasn't surprising. NYCFC is a good team. They've been a good team. They had a rough stretch there in the middle. But other than that, they're a good team. Uh... 
you were saying you were not very surprised by this result. How did you feel at the end of the game? Were you kind of like me? Were you upset at the way the team performed? Um, and then also, what do you think about NYCFC and them pulling off that win um, at home? Yeah, I think, like you said, looking at... So even we can go back to us talking about whether or not Elaine and I was going to make the playoffs. And I think we were both, all three of us were really confident that they were going to make the playoffs because we looked at the end of their schedule and we saw Toronto, Miami, Toronto, Cincinnati, even the Red Bulls to an extent. So we got this, oh, we're going to make the playoffs attitude, which was correct. And like you said, they went, what, eight straight unbeaten. A lot of those were draws. And one of those draws included 1-1 against NYCFC, but they had to come back against FC Cincinnati in 1-2-1, which while it's a win, that clinched them a playoff spot. The fact that you had to come back against Cincinnati, it took a Joseph Martinez banger to beat the worst team in league history for three seasons in a row. That's not a good sign. Like you said, NYCFC, because we talked a little bit about there for a second, like are they? is this going to be a major collapse? And they kind of proved us wrong, turning on at the right time got hot toward the end. Obviously, every time we talk about NYCFC, the whole league just talks about playing on a baseball field, how hard that is to win there, and we know this, so that didn't help at all. But you're playing a team that's hot against a team that that just looks hot because they're playing really bad teams. So seeing NYCFC win wasn't surprising. The goals were pretty bad. I literally just met because Guzan made what I thought was a pretty good save. I was like, ha, my Brad Guzan take is right. You haters, you're all wrong. And like literally right as I hit send, I was like, for a ba- it was like a little pop-up, the second base. It just goes over a set. He just watches it like a little kid. I'm like, I, I need to delete this message as soon as possible. And right as I get to my computer, Josh is like, this is the worst take I've ever seen. This aged horribly. <laughs> so that goal was disappointing. Um, the second goal, I don't remember it. Well, I think set piece. Header. I think Guzan made initial save, and then it came off of. Him. A, I think it was a corner kick header. Yeah, but I'm most disappointed about, and I saw even Matt Doyle tweeted um like one of those expected goal graphics where it looks like they're just lines and they're going up and down throughout the 90 minutes. Right after halftime, you just see NYCFC skyrocket. I was like, okay, something crazy happened at halftime. That's weird. But then watching the game, it showed a stat that NYCFC between the 45th and 60th minute, has scored more goals in MLS than anybody. So when did they score their two goals against Atlanta? 49th and 53rd minute. So this is not just like, a oh, crap, they turn it on at halftime. They do this all the time. They turn it on after half, and then they go on and beat teams. So why was this? This should not have been. This should have been like, you talk about the mental lapses. This should have been in the locker room, like, hey, this team turns it on at half. So you have to be ready for this 15-minute stretch that they're historically just dominant at. And you let in two goals, one of which stupid pop-up that just bounces over your head, and the other one a set-piece goal. So that was frustrating in the sense that this feels like they just this happens all the time. This wasn't a surprise. We knew NYCFC tears it up at this. And toward the end of the first half, it was turning into, for me at least, I thought if Atlanta can get through, because toward the end of the first half, I feel like NYCFC was on this like onslaught. Like Atlanta had no shot of scoring. It just turned into get into the half, tied nil-nil. So they got into the half, tied zeros. And I thought, okay, they have a good shot. They got out of it. They'll be fine. And then continued for the next 15 minutes. And we on the attacking side for Atlanta United, we talked about it. Like the best chance of the game came and Brad Guzan had a good distribution. And then I think 
shot got saved or something like that happened. By the attack, there was just no good chances. They had four shots on target, um, nine total shots, and they had more possession, but they were just felt like there was nothing there. There was no urgency, and it was just bleh. But as far as I think there, this is something to build off of, I think, for Atlanta United going into next season. I think have relatively high hopes again. Um, it's kind of, like you said, I mean, making the playoffs almost feels kind of expected when half the league makes the playoffs and they're spending all this money. But as far as winning in the playoffs, I mean, obviously there's so much going on. New manager in the season was just a crapshoot, I feel like, for Atlanta United. But like we said, I mean, the end of the schedule kind of deceived fans, I think, when you're playing all these easy teams. You're getting draws. You're getting late winners. And that looks really good on paper. But then when you play a really good team at home who is urgent, who's anxious, who wants to win, who wants to get that MLS Cup, um, they just weren't up for it. And they just weren't the better side that day. So disappointed, but not surprised, I think is the best way to describe that game. Um, If you have nothing else to add about beloved Atlanta United going out in the first round, we can move on to another game, Portland Timbers, Minnesota. Portland winning 3-1, a comeback win for Portland. Minnesota got a 1-0 lead early. It was a pretty good team goal. Uh, But yeah, Minnesota, I think... Another team, something needs to be said about them just making the playoffs after losing four straight to start the season. No one had ever done it. The Loons got in, but fell to the Timbers in the first round. Uh, Sebastian Blanco with a brace. One of the goals we'll talk about later, but freaking awesome. Uh, What did you think about Portland and their performance? Was this something that, I don't know, did you pick this game right? You got this wrong, didn't you? I did. Oh, you got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about Portland? proving get breaking your bracket already um well to be fair uh, skc kind of broke my bracket because i had vancouver getting through um well (laughs) yeah yeah no my bracket was so done it's the western conference that i need to blame i guess i haven't been watching enough of the west this year um but um yeah no i you know i came away pretty impressed with portland's performance to be honest with you Minnesota played a good first, like, I think it was 20, 30 minutes. Uh, and then Portland got the equalizer. And then I think that was, that was right before halftime. And when those teams came out, I mean, Minnesota, was, they were just not ready, man. They were not ready whatsoever for that second half. And when you have a player like Sebastian Blanco, you make things happen in the playoffs. I wish Connor were on this episode because he and I love to debate, you know, the whole you need to have stars kind of uh, – Spiel, you know, we all know my opinion that you need game changers. You need those individuals um, in the playoffs. Who was going to be that individual for Minnesota? Well, okay, Reynoso, right? Well, they took him out of the game. Portland did. They did a really good job of of neutralizing him. And when you got nobody else to step up, because outside of Reynoso, who was going to get the job done? Well, nobody did. Frahapane did have a goal uh, to happen, but... Again, that was a really good team goal. It wasn't necessarily an individual making a play. Um, also in that game was his horrible challenge uh, where he like left the ground, like jumped up in the air, and then came down with both feet on somebody's ankle. I can't remember who it was. And it got a yellow. It got a freaking yellow card. That was one of the most egregious. You know what? The ref crew for this game, they just sucked. Okay, they just sucked. Uh, <laughs> Portland, it, when the game was still 2-1, to one, Portland had a really obvious handball. Like, Dairon Espria, like, put his arm out and hit the ball with his hand. 
They did not take a look at it. They didn't even take a look at it. I saw that and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? That is so obviously a handball. And then not even five minutes later, Portland gets the second goal or uh, the third goal of the game to go 3-1. And then Minnesota being all pissed off and stuff, you know, Frahapane does a horrible challenge. They don't look at that one either And what was a straight red, like very obviously straight red. And all he came away with was yellow. Just, just, a, just a master class from the refs in that game. But yeah, Portland, super impressed. They could have, you know, they could have just fumbled the bag, you know, after conceding that first goal at home. Uh, but they came around really strong. And, uh, man, I just, I don't like Minnesota right now. I've doubted them all year. And the one time I decide to not doubt them, <laughs> they let me down. So I'm not a fan of the loons. Drew, what do you think about this game? Yeah, I have very high hopes for Portland. Uh, I picked them to win it all going back to my prediction. So the first, and as I was, you know, reading up on the playoffs, like you said, getting to watch the West, I didn't do it a whole lot because 1030 kickoffs, not my thing, but reading up on the Timbers and reading up, okay, what's their weakness? What are they good at? The one thing that kept popping up was their defense. They've allowed 52 goals, second most out of playoff teams. RSLs allowed 54 goals. So the big question was, is their defense going to hold up? Obviously, a lot of that's kind of swayed when you get beat 6-2 by Seattle at home. But the big question was, are you going to be able to hold up? Obviously, Blanco can do a lot. Like we talk about stars, he's that guy that can break open a game for you, and he did against Minnesota. But there's only so much he can do. So when Minnesota scored that first goal, it turned into like, oh, crap, the defense. This is where they struggled. The Loons figured it out. Good passing, good team goal, but... This is where it starts. It's going to be an onslaught. It's going to be 3 nothing Minnesota, Portland out. But like you said, Portland bounced back really well. It helps when you have a star like Blanco who can just do this like crazy crap that you just can't really defend. He just does it, and you're just like, okay, maybe that goes in, maybe it doesn't, not a whole lot you can do about it. So Portland, I thought that was really impressive to come back and score three goals against Minnesota. Um, obviously being at home helped with that while Providence Park crowd being at full house again is nuts. One of the toughest places to play in the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, they bounced back really well. I thought that was really impressive. Minnesota, again, pretty impressive that they just made the playoffs in the first place. But after getting that early lead, I think you would have liked to see them create a little more. Um, but Portland kind of answered the bell on the defensive end, which I think a lot of people had questions about. And to their credit, when you knock out Minnesota's best player, like you talked about, Reynoso, really just wasn't there. Um, credit to Portland for that. And, yeah, that was a good win. I think that speared him on to another game, which we will talk about in a second. But we can go back to the Eastern Conference. Our beloved boys, my beloved, our beloved. I think everyone likes Nashville. Who doesn't like Nashville? Nashville beating Orlando City. Honey, money-making MVP Mukhtar with a brace. We'll talk more about his individual goals in a second, but Nashville 3-1 winners after Orlando City went up one to nothing. I was watching this game in this uh, restaurant back home in Gainesville called the Chop Block, and I was the only one that cared about this game. Everyone was watching like dumb college basketball. So when the first goal happened, I was like super mad. Everyone was like, what the heck's going on? But then Hani scored twice. I lost my mind. And this lady, the waitress, literally came up to me as I'm wearing like a Nashville jersey that I got over the summer, right? It's that stupid, I can't say stupid, it's that highlighter yellow that they say is gold. It stands out in front of everyone. The team is clearly wearing that on the TV, <laughs> and I'm clearly losing my mind. She's like, you guys aren't watching this, right? I'm like, yes, this is the one TV I care about. Don't change the channel. But 
Nashville 3-1 winners, super happy, super excited. They got to play in Nissan Stadium. Crowd looked awesome. It was wild. But Josh, I think we both had Nashville in this game. Uh, I think for me, my biggest thing was seeing Nashville score three goals. I think there's this perception that Nashville can defend really well, but they just can't score goals. But then when you have Mukhtar, who is like the only player in the league, I think, with double-digit goals and assists, I might be wrong on that. But he has double-double. And obviously he's making a case for MVP, and he kind of carried the team there. Um, and then John Cadiz got that last-second goal to kind of ice it toward the end. But what did you think about Nashville? Were you more – I know we all picked them to win, but did something – was this more impressive of a performance than Nashville than what you thought? Or was it more of a disappointing performance on Orlando's part? This is exactly what I expected from this game. Uh I've, I've for some reason I've ended up watching a lot of Nashville this year, and every single Nashville game I've watched, they concede first. They always concede first. They go down one nothing, or they sometimes just for fun they go down two nothing, and then they spend the rest of the game just attacking, 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 attacking so hard, and they come up with all these chances. Now I would say about f- like half the time they do just enough for a draw, and they get a little unlucky to not score more. And then the other half of the time, they get the job done and they come back and get the win. So as soon as Orlando scored in, like, I think it was like the 11th or 12th minute, I was like, yeah, big whoop. And I was like, even better, Nashville's doing this at home. They did this all year at home. They just love giving up goals early and then putting on a show for the fans. So as soon as, as, soon as Orlando scored and DK scored, I was like, okay, you know, kind of a rough start, but like... The Nationals got them right where they want them, honestly, if we're being honest. So it was, honestly, it was a bit expected. And then on the other flip side, you know, Orlando just did not look good down the stretch. They just did not look like a strong team. I mean, I picked them to miss the playoffs at one point, And, you know, I think it became a pretty common topic of conversation on our episodes and on our show about how Orlando is just struggling, not getting the job done. And so... While they're still such a well-coached team and such a talented team, I feel like playing inconsistently down the stretch just, you know, did not it, that resulted in not giving them a chance to compete in Nashville. Uh, that was a hard way to say that, but yeah, they just did not look ready to go for a playoff game, and I think uh, their stretch run uh, set them up for that. Yeah, yeah, I thought when DK, because I think that was one of the bigger storylines about this game is that Daryl DK was getting hot. He got that corner kick. Obviously, we know how good he was and how he's been lately. So when he got that goal, it turned into like, oh, crap, DK's hot. Um, That was the big question, Daryl DK against his defense. But he got that first one off a set piece. Like you talk about, when you go back to the beginning of the season, I think Nashville went down 2-0 twice to Cincinnati and Montreal and came back and tied both times. So that was good. Um, Again, talking about stars, Hani Mukhtar pulled up. I think it was really encouraging for Nashville to see Jean Cadiz get a goal because he's not been that well coming off the bench. He's one of their three DPs. Um, Nashville's essentially been playing this whole season with one DP, with Akelo, but didn't get in at all. He hasn't played a lot. Cadiz doesn't get in a whole lot. He hasn't produced a whole lot. So it's all kind of been on Mukhtar's back, and he's provided for them. He's kind of led this charge, but I think that was good for Nashville to see him find the back of the net. Hopefully that boosts his confidence as they go to Philadelphia. But that was an exciting game. Um first one of two games the second game I did you enjoy watching this game I've seen a lot of debate on Twitter no was this game entertaining no 
And I'm really <laughs> glad it wasn't the game that was on for Thanksgiving or people would have gouged their eyes oh, out. Oh, that would have been horrible. God, it would have been the worst representation for the league. Um, <laughs> no, I had a horrible time. I struggled to stay awake uh, because of the late. So like once it started hitting extra time, I was like passing out. Um, I woke up to see that it was going to PKs and then I woke up to watch the game winning PK and then I went straight to bed after that. <laughs> so that's all you needed. You, I know. Yeah, that's all you needed. I, I got the important parts, but and it was man so disappointing. Like I was so excited for this game. Like I just felt like you know it's Seattle in the playoffs and RSL are such a wild card. And they they have an all season and and then and it got even crazier because then Albert Rusnak all of a sudden like less than an hour before the game started it was like oh this guy is not playing in the game tonight because. He tested positive for COVID. So that was also nuts. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was not an enjoyable experience, not in the way that I was that I was hoping. Yeah, I think it's been fun on Twitter to see some people talking about whether or not this game was enjoyable. It's funny seeing Seattle people debate about it because then everyone's bringing up like the 2016, I think it was 2016 MLS Cup final receipts where I don't think Seattle got an entire shot on goal but then won the cup final. But... It was pretty boring. It was hard to watch. Uh, Seattle losing to RSL 6-5 to five on pins. Yeah, went to, mm-hmm. what's the word, Sundev after Stefan Fry got called out because the one time he made a save, his foot was off the line. So they called it back, made him do it again. The RSL guy, I forgot who was taking the penalty. RSL guy came back, buried it, and that kept him on. And then David Ochoa made the one save that got it for him. Um, yeah. I think, I don't even know, like everything that needs to be said about this game has been said. Like it felt like RSL pretty much said, there's no way we're beating Seattle in Seattle over 90 minutes. We're not going to do it over 120 minutes. We're just going to play our hand at penalty kicks and see what happens. And it worked. So I think there's a credit to them for that. But I also think, I mean, watching the highlights of this game, Seattle had its chances. Like there were moments that Seattle could have put this game away. And... (laughs) I, Seattle, I think they had this, look, trying to f- see this whole Sounder season from bird's eye. They started off super well. Went on that stretch of going undefeated. The question was, oh, crap, is this team ever going to lose? Eventually they lost. They went through, through some rough stretches, losing at home. The worst home record of any team in the playoffs. Eventually come came back to bite them, losing in penalty kicks. RSL just bunkered down, held on for penalty kicks, and it worked fine. Looking at RSL, because I don't know how else we can analyze this game except for Salt Lake just parked the bus and it worked. Um, RSL obviously getting in the playoffs with that Demir Krylock goal late. Do you think RSL has any shot to make it another round? Or is the miracle run ending here? I I can't see them beating Sporting Kansas City. Uh, and they're still apparently not going to have Albert Rusnak back in time, which is big. He had double-digit assists, and I think almost double-digit goals. He might have been behind Hani Mukhtar in that category, uh, barely. But, yeah, I I can't see RSL lasting that much longer, uh, especially with that performance against Seattle. Side note, did you see that guy, that Seattle fan, who years ago he tweeted making fun of Toronto losing to Seattle? Is that what you were referencing earlier, or... I saw some dude, it might be, 
but they like quote tweeted his tweet with the article yes. about yeah 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 <laughs> and then and then all these years later he was like man this sucks <laughs> Because <laughs> they finally got a taste of their own medicine. So there's something poetic in that that I think is extremely hilarious. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was a rough game to watch. And like I said, I was really excited for it. So it was kind of a bummer that that last game of the weekend ended up being the way it was. Uh, but moving on, as we've talked so much about in the episode, finally getting to talk about it now. Thanksgiving Day football, but football, soccer, uh, Colorado hosting Portland, Colorado, who had to go basically almost three weeks without playing a game, hosted Portland fresh off of their win on Minnesota on Saturday night. Portland came away with the 1-0 upset, last-minute goal by Larry Smabiala, like literally last minute. I, for some reason, thought it was in the 84th like, minute, so when I looked back up and I was like, oh, they're in the 93rd minute. This game is over. Uh, I was very, very surprised. Um, I don't have much to say about the game. I... Like you said at the beginning of the episode, it wasn't the most interesting game until like the very, very end. And that was a little disappointing. I'm very interested to see what numbers it did with the TV audience, especially because while this game was going on on Fox over on CBS, they were breaking the record for the most watched regular season NFL game between the Raiders and Cowboys since 1990. So... Considering how many people were watching that game, I can't imagine many people were hanging around on Fox after that horrible Detroit Lions-Chicago Bears game and deciding, you know what? You know what will make this Thanksgiving Day better after watching this horrible football game? Soccer. I don't know that many Americans (laughs) made that decision, but we'll see. Maybe it was like you. you Maybe you uh, tricked your family into watching soccer for a couple hours. Um, I, My dad, I could tell he he likes soccer. He, he's a soccer fan uh, at this point. My whole family enjoys it, uh, you know, after all these years of going to Atlanta United games and stuff. And so I know part of him wanted to watch the game, especially since it's a playoff game. But I could tell he w- would have preferred to have the Cowboys-Raiders game on the big TV and put the playoff game on the iPad. And I was like, nah, the Raiders-Cowboys game is going to be horrible. Like, those teams suck. <laughs> you know, whatever. And uh, so we ended up watching the soccer game instead. And I think it ended up being easily the best football game of the day, of the three football games. (laughs) Uh, So thanks a lot, MLS, for the way that schedule worked out. I kind of wish, you know, that soccer game had been on literally any other point in the day, but it's fine. Um, What did you think about the game? Like you said, you got to watch this with your family. Um, I'll say, I'll ask you this. What do you make of Colorado's season? And before we get there, I want to circle back and say that, again, this is where the whole star players comes into effect. Now, Larry Smabiala is not who you think of when you think of star players on Portland. Don't get me wrong. But he is one of the better center backs in the league. He's very underrated. And he does score goals for Portland. This is, you know, this is a not a, a rare thing for them. He is definitely one of the leaders on the team. When you look at Colorado, you know, who do you say is that person? So for you, Drew, like is this a success for Colorado? You know, what do you take away from them losing like this? They they went through this entire season. They end up getting first in the West. They get their fans a a, a home playoff game, which by the way, that place was fully packed. That was really really cool to see. Uh, so w- what do you make of their season and and how they went out of the playoffs? Yeah, I think it's you know when you look at the way they got first, everything was the. Is it going to be SKC? Is it going to be Seattle? Who's going to do it? Things bounce Colorado's way. 
they got first, they'll get a CONCACAF Champions League spot, which I think is really exciting. But to go out, because this was, there were, only, there were only two games where the away team won, RSL beating Seattle, and then Portland beating Colorado at home. And like you said, the atmosphere is wild. Um, I don't know the TV ratings yet. I don't know when we'll learn that. But seeing it packed out, soccer stadium on Thanksgiving Day was really exciting to see. The atmosphere looked incredible. As far as the whole season goes, I mean, it has to be a success for Colorado, right? I think we were both, you, I remember looking at the old standings, you were very high on Colorado. I don't know if anyone picked them to finish first in the Western Conference, though. So I think from that perspective, really good season for the Rapids. Champions League spot. We'll see what happens here. As far as going out in the playoffs, I mean, that especially just knowing MLS, right? The whole stat of like, I forgot the exact number, but it's it's hard to win on the road in MLS. And I think this goes back to the break we were talking about. The Rapids hadn't played a game in like more than two weeks, almost three weeks. I'm trying to pull up the Rapids schedule right now. So they hadn't played in forever. They're playing a Portland team that's hot, that knows how to win in the playoffs. And the thing just didn't bounce right. Um, they both had their chances, I think. Portland had a shot cleared off the line or vice versa and took again, like we said, until the 90th minute. Also, Esprit got that stupid red card like in the last second, so he's going to be out for the next game. Uh, Blanco looks like he's going to be out for the next game. I haven't heard anything about that. So Portland, that was stupid on Esprit's part, kind of shooting themselves in the foot with that one. But as far as Colorado goes, I think it's a disappointing way for your season to end with all this hope and excitement of at least getting one playoff game. I think what's something that's really interesting is um, Cole Bassett in the whole, he had that transfer move to Portugal, I think, Benfica, I think was the team we were talking about, mm-hmm. and he rejected it, thinking we're going to win something here. Looked like he's on the right track, getting the number one seed in the Western Conference, and then nothing happens. So when you talk about Colorado star players, he's one of those guys you think of, and We'll see what happens with his future. But like you said, there's not, when you're watching Portland, if you say, I don't know anything about Portland, you know Sebastian Blanco is going to be really good. There's not that guy with, there are good players on Colorado. It's not like there are a bunch of scrubs running around. They have Mark Anthony K. Dominic Baggi, like just randomly decided to play good for the Rapids, which is like the coolest thing ever. But there's not that guy on the Rapids that you can point to and say he's the game breaker. Um, so good season for the Rapids overall. Disappointing how they went out. What did you make? about Colorado season? Do you think it was a success? Do you think this is something they can build off for next year? Yeah, I definitely think it's a success, and they definitely have a very, very strong base set up for the next few years. And this year especially is going to be really big for their core going forward because they've gone through a season now where they've come away with the number one seed and they've played in a playoff game. I saw an Atlanta fan compare this to Atlanta's first season when they lost to Columbus in the first round. Like, it was a close game. It was very back and forth, and things just broke Columbus's way, and that was a team with a bit more experience. And this, uh, to that person, it really felt like a very similar thing to where Colorado's just going to build with that experience, and they'll be back better than ever next year. I kind of want to go back to what you said about Cole Bassett. Um, it's funny to me, like, I understand why he wanted to stay. I think part of it is because he was going to be with Benfica's B team, and that's just not... That's not what he needs right now. I think he needs something a bit more challenging. I think part of it is he's he's young, and so he's going to be naive and say, you know, I, I think my team can win something. And I'm sure he believed it, but it's kind of like, dude, like, are you guys, you know, 
you gonna win a trophy this year? Pro- probably not. I mean, like, look at who else is in the West. Um, and and don't get me wrong, Rapids were good, but like you said, like I've said, like everybody said, they do not have that next level player. They just don't. And unless they do, I'm not sure that they can ever win an MLS Cup trophy or a U.S. Open Cup trophy. They could win a Supporter Shield, though. I I do believe that. I think if you if you have a strong enough, because when you know Supporter Shield is over the course of the season, you need a strong squad top to bottom. And Colorado has built a good squad top to bottom. So I think they could potentially win a shield. But, yeah, I mean, he's just a 20-year-old. You know, he's 20 or 21 or however young he is. He's going to say stuff like, I think we could win a trophy, even though the reality is they probably weren't. And now they're not. Uh, Good for them, though. They'll be in CCL. That's going to be really interesting. I definitely want to see how the Rapids stack up against uh, talent like that. But overall, great season for them. And again, it's something really strong for them to build on the next year. Uh, but we'll move on. You put some really good questions in the doc, so I want to ask you them first. I guess we'll go question by question, just a couple here, and then we'll get some quick predictions on upcoming games, and we'll close this thing out. Which team impressed you the most this week, and which team disappointed you the most this week of the playoff teams? Impressed me the most this week. I'm saying Portland disappointed me the most this week. Oh man, can I say the team Portland B? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say C. Uh, Minnesota. I'm gonna say Minnesota. Portland yeah. impressed me the most. Minnesota disappointed me the most. What about you? I'm with you on Portland. I uh, I think it's kind of a cop out for us just because they played two games this week and won both games, and no other team played two games this week. Uh, I think if I was gonna pick another team besides Portland, I probably would go with. It's like a tie between Nashville and NYCFC. Like, good job to those teams for taking care of business at home in like really convincing fashion. You can probably loop in SKC in there as well. Uh, for most disappointing, I'm gonna go with Seattle. I mean, you have all those shots on goal, and I know they're not the healthiest, but at the end of the day, you are a better team than RSL. You are a team that has been to four of the last five MLS Cups. I don't care if you don't have, you know, a, a full strength. Jordan Morris, a full-strength Raul Ruiz Diaz. You know, you're not starting Nico Ladero. No, no, oh, so what? You lost to a team that did not take a single shot. Not even a shot on goal. Like, did not take a single shot. Did not bother. Uh, and so something doesn't sit right with me with that. So I'm, like, really, really disappointed in Seattle. Um, Jordan Morris went, he only went 103, right? Like, he played a while. Yeah, he ended up playing for wasn't most full. of the game. Yeah, like, I could not surprising. believe they left him on the field that long. Good for him, though. It's great to see him back. Obviously, he's not 100% himself, and it's going to be a little bit before he gets there, but looking really good nonetheless after just tearing his ACL like six months ago, it feels like, eight months ago, like not a long time. Uh, And then to close out these couple questions, they kind of tie in with each other. So any changes to your MLS Cup predictions, and then if you could change one thing from your original bracket, what would it be? My bracket's doing really good right now. The only thing I got wrong was RSL Seattle, but I picked Seattle to lose next round. So I'm pretty happy with my bracket. So I don't think if I could change anything, I would change RSL beating Seattle. That's the only game I got wrong so far. But MLS Cup, both teams still looking good. So not a whole lot of changes on my end. You said the Western Conference was pretty rough to you. Any Anything, looking back on it now, that you would like to have changed after watching these first round of games? Uh, yeah, I picked Seattle to go to the final, to the MLS Cup final. So <laughs> I would definitely love to change... Um, I'd definitely love to change Seattle for 
RSL there in the opener. And then, of course, that ties immediately into any changes to your MLS Cup predictions. I have to change my prediction. I had Nashville beating Seattle in the final. I will keep Nashville. I still feel pretty good about that. Now, I did say last week, I did say, because Drew, you picked Portland to beat Minnesota. And then I think you had Colorado beating them. Colorado being Portland? Yeah, or did you pick Portland over Colorado? I picked Port- I picked Portland to win the whole thing. Right, so I okay. Portland to win that one. So I did agree with you that if Portland was going did, to make yes. it, I was like, they're a smart pick. I think they're a good pick to go to. So I'm going to amend mine, and I'm going to make it Portland versus It's Nashville. always Cascadia. Yeah, right? It's I, always exactly. Cascadia. Exactly. Like, you got to pick. <laughs> and, and this year we had three options, <laughs> and I think, all th- <laughs> I think all three of us ended up picking options. Didn't Did Connor end up making – Vancouver go to the final, or was he not that crazy? All three of our... No, he was. All three of our <laughs> predictions were the three Cascadia teams. Well, Drew's the last man standing after that, so yeah, I would I would want it to be Portland-Nashville. But uh, speaking of upcoming games, there are three more games. We've got two on Sunday, one on Tuesday. Thanks a lot, NFL. Uh, the first game on Sunday is Sporting Kansas City hosting RSL. Quick prediction from you, Drew. Uh, SKC 3-1. All right, I am also going to pick a two-goal win for SKC, but I'm going to go 2-0 for me. Uh, the next game after that on Sunday night, Philadelphia Union versus Nashville. Nashville 2-1. I was going to say Nashville 2-1, but as I've been thinking about it, I'm actually going to go 1-1 draw, PKs, Nashville makes it through. I do Ooh. think Nashville will go through, but I think it's going to be a little tight just because Philly's hosting. Okay. And then Tuesday night, New England Revolution, Sporter Shield winner against NYCFC. Who you got? This is tough because the Revs have been off for a very long time, but the Revs don't miss their really good 3-1 Revs win. I think this is going to be a classic. I think this is going to be a MLS Cup playoffs classic. I don't know why. I could be really wrong. Maybe this will end up being nil-nil. We'll get another brutal, like, all the way down to penalty kicks game. I'm going to go 3-2 NYCFC. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be bonkers Both one game. seed's gone in the first game. Wow. Yep, yep. Uh, moving on now, we've got our goal of the week, player of the week, games to watch. Uh, I'll go first for goal of the week. I picked Seb- Sebastian Blanco's second goal against Minnesota. As soon as it happened, I jumped in the chat, and I was like, that's my goal. Uh, he, <laughs> f- first of all, Minnesota should not have given him that much space, but they did. And then he did that thing where he uses the outside of his foot as laces to make the ball bend slightly outward and it ended up uh, hitting the post and just sneaking in. It was a brilliant goal. What about your goal of the week, Drew? I went with Jakob Lessons' winner. Um, the whole stadium yelling, shoot. He probably felt like, oh, crap, I have no choice but to shoot this ball now. And he's probably glad he did. That was a banger of a goal to beat the Red Bulls. So I went with that one as my goal of the week. Uh, your player of the week ties into your goal of the week understandable picks from both of us. I went with Hani Mukhtar getting a brace, uh, scoring two goals against Orlando. You went with another player who scored a brace. Um, who was your player of the week? Yep, one with Sebastian Blanco. Uh, really hate that he got injured and uh, will likely miss next game. He's so important for them. And that was very, very obvious in that win over Minnesota. Uh, games to watch, and then uh, Drew will go ahead and close it out. I'm picking Philadelphia-Nashville. I have Nashville upsetting Philadelphia, and so I, I'm very invested in this game. And I just, I don't know. I'm I'm very convinced by Nashville. They feel like a team that's so well-suited for the playoffs. And it's also kind of flown under the radar, but they've made the playoffs in their first two seasons. 
and they've won now what two three playoff games i mean they are they're a model franchise and here we are all these years later who would have thought we'd be talking about how amazing nashville is and just how utter trash inner miami is like who who (laughs) saw this coming like we're talking about a dumpster fire of a franchise already got cheating they haven't been around for two full years yet and then on the flip side you got the boys in gold they're about to open up the biggest soccer specific stadium in the united states and they might also be celebrating an mls cup when they do so uh because they look fantastic so just major props to nashville they've done everything so well uh and then drew what is your game to watch I went with New England, NYCFC, Supporter Shield winning team, making their first round in the playoffs, only team that has yet to play. It's been a while they're playing an NYCFC team that had a pretty impressive win at home. So we'll see if the Revs can kick the dust off and play in these weird games where it just takes one lucky bounce your way um, to end your season or gets you through to the conference finals. So I went with New England, NYCFC, Tuesday at 7.30. So some fun stuff going on on Tuesday. But that is all we have for you guys. Thanks a ton for listening, as always. Um, as always, visit the website, MLSMultiplex.com, to check out awesome written content as the playoffs continue and our writers crank out really awesome stuff. You can follow the website on Twitter at MLSMultiplex to see stories as they get tweeted. You can follow us on Twitter, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Bolin, and Connor at CWG Somerville. He will be back with us soon to talk about the craziness of MLS Cup playoffs. So check out the website, check us all out on social media. And as always, be sure to tune in next week because we'll for sure have more craziness going on and we will be here to talk about it. So thanks again so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors written work at MLSMultiplex.com.